Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to episode 129 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are... John Falvin, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, Dan Watkins, and I'm Hazel Chandler. On today's show, we have our reviews and recommendations, including Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Till, Our Flag Means Death, Megan or Meg Threen, and Extraordinary. Plus, I've got my hats out. It is time for the annual Nerdfest Oscars sweepstake with my unique brand of making it more complicated than it needs to be. So let's start the show. Never heard them called hats before. <laughs> Get your hats out for the lads. I know, yeah. I nearly said that, but I was thinking, is that too sexist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but John said the quiet thing out loud. <laughs> As always. So John, what happened to you this morning? I got to level 57 on Vampire Survivors and I needed to get to level 60 to unlock the next stage. Oh. That was 34 minutes of my life. I'm never getting back. It's very addictive. If anyone has an Xbox Game Pass, don't download Vampire Survivors because your entire life would just be running around. Is it good? It's a very strange game. You start off with like in a haunted graveyard and a few monsters are attacking you and as you kill them, you collect like little power-up orbs. Hmm. That make you more powerful. But as you're doing that, more and more monsters are attacking you. Mm. It gets to the point after about 10 minutes where there's just hundreds and hundreds of tiny pixel-like characters attacking you at a time while you're firing off about 10 different weapons simultaneously, making them all explode and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's quite good fun to watch. Uh, John, I have a bone to pick with you. Oh. During an improv game last night, mm. you declared that there are too many zombie things and you've had enough, including <laughs> yeah. The Last of Us. You Whoa. gave The Last of Us as an example. Mm-hmm. And either you're a brilliant actor, which I don't believe, <laughs> or, or something else is going on. Please, this is your I, opportunity I, to explain yourself. What I was explaining was we're at too much zombies, but Last of Us is still amazing. They're not actually zombies, technically. (laughs) The mushrooms, aren't they? They're infected. Yeah. I was on Amazon Prime before going and doing that show, and there was like two Walking Dead series that I didn't even know existed. So there's too many. (laughs) (laughs) There needs to be a new, fresh take on the zombie story, which I think... Don't worry, the three or four Walking Dead spin-offs will yeah. cover that. <laughs> We've got Negan and Maggie in mm. a city somewhere, haven't we? We've got yeah. Daryl wandering around somewhere in a spin-off, and then we've got Michonne mm, and Rick. Rick. Fear the Walking Dead is finishing, I think, this yeah. season. But then there was something called Beyond the Walking Dead, or... World Beyond. Walking Dead World yeah. Beyond. Which... Is that the one that was about kids? Could have been, never watched it. I think you're right that we do need a revolution in zombies. and um, <laughs> A zombie if... revolution. Oh. A zombie uprising, even. Yeah. <laughs> or a fresh take, rather. And I do prefer slow zombies, but at least when fast zombies were brought in, then that was different. Maybe we need a different form of transportation. Zombies. I'm thinking zombishops, and they can only move diagonally. Zombishops. <laughs> 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 Zombishop must have been on the sci-fi channel at some point. Mm. Given time. I did notice that the Asylum have got their version of cocaine bear ready to go this summer. What is it, it called? It is called Meth Gator. Oh. <laughs> it's a big alligator on meth. I thought it might have been Smack Shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not watching Cocaine Bear. No. It looks appalling. Yeah. 
that, that's the end of my statement. They got me with the title, which is their entire aim, build an entire premise around just one title. It's a bear on cocaine. Mm. I was like, oh, best, best film ever. But um, no, apparently it's boring. Yeah. Mm. Mark Kermode said it was better than Snakes on a Plane, at least. I didn't think that was great. Snakes on a Plane. I've not seen it. Good. What I would rather watch is that bit from Planet Earth where there's a big grizzly bear who just has a really good scratch against a tree for a bit as David Attenborough narrates it. That for an hour and a half. Perfect <laughs> entertainment. It's just, uh, he's so itchy, but he just feels so happy by the end of it. He's had a really good scratch. Would you not good like bear. to watch him scratching up against David Attenborough? David Attenborough no. just kind of scratching Protect his back David for David Attenborough at all costs, yeah. people. If Attenborough came and helped, they'd just get that little bit in the middle of the bear's back that he just yeah. couldn't quite reach. Yeah, that would yeah. be lovely. Yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would yeah. happily watch It'd be that. be like one of those little angelfish thing in the shark. Uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking of things that you like to watch, would you like to give us a recommendation for this episode, Dan? Me? Yeah, Me. let's start with you. Okay, so I've been watching lots of things set on board ships recently. Amy and I went to the 25th anniversary screening of Titanic a few weeks ago. Seen it a few times before, never on a big screen. In 3D. But luckily it's James Cameron 3D, so it's not obvious. Right. But just watching that film on a cinema screen gave me a, a whole new appreciation for Ships. For ships, but for the film. Icebergs. Um, yeah, icebergs as well. The whole thing. Yeah. French girls. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you what, the, that, what that scene in 3D looked like. <laughs> that drawing just came right out at you. Um, yeah, it's a masterpiece. I'd like the record to show that Dan just made a movement with his hands. A very yeah, 70s an artist A cupping drawing. motion. Yeah. It was James Cameron's hand. That was a it good was recommendation. Good. I enjoyed it. Dan. Thank you. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. But yeah, Titanic is a masterpiece. If you get the chance to see it in a cinema screen, even if you've seen it loads of times before, it's well worth doing because it is further proof that James Cameron might be the best. Doesn't he have like the top three of the four highest grossing films of all time? He does. Yeah. I was listening to Thinking an that. episode of the Baseless Speculation podcast recently. And at the start of the episode, Avatar The Way of Water had overtaken Titanic to be the third highest grossing film of all time. By the end of the episode, Titanic's re-release had re-overtaken the Way of Water to become the third biggest, and now it's Way of Water again. James Cameron just counts his coppers. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Anyway, so that that was... yeah. I watched Terminator this week, which is a complete contrast to all of those in so many ways. No ships. You would never have guessed that that guy was going to go on... All the success he's had. Yeah. Well, from the Terminator, one of the best science fiction films of the 80s. I just see it as a crappy version of Terminator 2. <laughs> <laughs> Terminator is so much better than Terminator 2. Agreed. I mean, I love Terminator 2, but the yeah. first one, I just. Well, we'll have that debate another time. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, Dan, yes. Your ship yeah. recommendation. Yeah, ship please. recommendation. So, Titanic is great. I've also been watching the first season of Our Flag Means Death which has been on around the world for many, many years, but must have sailed over to the United Kingdom on an 18th century ship because it's only just arrived on the BBC. I was very confused when I saw it on the iPlayer the other day and I thought, oh, there's a new series. No. It's it's literally just the first series. It's just arrived. So this is the tale of Steed Bonnet, the gentleman pirate, played by Rhys Darby, who's best known on the big screen for the recent Jumanji films and on the small screen for Flight of the Concords. Steed is a landed gentry posh type who decides one day that he's had enough of feeling like an outcast and an outsider, so he takes a ship and decides to become a pirate. 
He gathers together a ragtag crew made up of comedians like Joel Fry and Samson Ko. Ewan Bremner from Trainspotting's there. Hodor turns up, and they set sail for a life of piracy. Except Steed doesn't really know how to be a pirate because he's got a lovely library, a luxurious walk-in wardrobe, and doesn't really want to hurt anyone. Did you know this is mostly a true story? I did not. It is. Seriously, wow. he's a real guy. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, if you l- listen to Reese Darby interviewed, he talks at length about it, and far more things are true than I would ever have believed watching the series. That is very cool. I thought it had all been made up. That adds a whole new dimension to it. What might be made up is that Steed runs into Blackbeard, who in the series is played by Taika Waititi. Close your ears, Andy. (laughs) (sighs) And Blackbeard is the archetypal pirate. Kills loads of people, looting and pillaging and that sort of thing. And to say there's a clash with Steed would be to start to reveal where the series might go from that point on. There's 10 episodes in the first series. I think a second one has already been and gone in America, or at least is mostly underway so there's a lot more story to tell especially if it's true it's just a nice easy watch there's not a lot of laugh out loud moments but it's quite gently funny all the way it's not to the ted lasso level of heartwarming close your ears john (laughs) (laughs) be too close but it goes for warm and fuzzy feels sometimes as well it's got a decent hbo size budget so It sometimes feels like they're on a ship, on a soundstage, but sometimes it feels like they are actually at sea. It's got a good cast of characters in it, and as the series goes on, you learn more about them. Rory Kinnear has a very good role in the first episode, which is genuinely very funny. And yeah, if you like pirates, your flag might mean you. (laughs) I'm more partial to privateers myself. Privateers. Ah, well, privateers do come into it. Ah. Yes. But not to like episode nine, so I can't say too much. Just a brief interlude. There was a cat in the hat and they've walked off and I don't know if they've taken any names with them. So we'll find out. <laughs> Did he have any socks in his box? <laughs> <laughs> so who is it aimed at? Is it aimed at a younger audience or? I'm not sure. That's probably one of the question marks I'd have Slightly for Slightly juvenile adults. <laughs> yeah, I think probably that would be about right because it's not quite that surreal dry New Zealand style of comedy that Rhys Darby did in Flight of the Concords and Taika did as well. It's not your full-on, super sweary, super violent HBO style comedy that it could have easily become. And it's not quite got that broad family appeal that something like Ghosts might have. It seems to have found an audience, and I know that particularly on Twitter there's a lot of shipping going on between characters on the ship, (laughs) with various combinations of characters that the audience seem to want to get together. So, When you say shipping, are you doing the the TikTok thing of relationship? That's what I was referring to, Uh, but with the double meaning of it being on an actual ship at the same time. It was was like nine out of ten pun playing from me there. Could you explain to me, and I mean, presumably Peter and John as well, what, what that actually means? It's like a relationship, but yeah. instead of most of the syllables, just yeah. say ship. So, What's the point in that? It's too much effort to say relation. <laughs> I understand and I condemn it. Horrified. <laughs> <laughs> Is it fair to say that um, our flag means death probably isn't aimed at Andy? Probably yes. There's quite a lot of Taika Waititi. There's, quite, there's a lot more Taika than I thought for somebody who is as busy as he seems to be. I thought he'd be one episode and done, but once yeah. he arrives, he's in it for the rest of the season. 
did direct the pilot as well. He does. Is it right Blackbeard was only active for about two or three years? Yeah. In reality? And while some of it was based on a true story, they do play fast and loose with real history when they want to. There's all sorts of things that shouldn't exist in the year 1717, and there's lots of things that are presented as new that had actually existed for a very long Mm. time. That extends to things like the casting and the portrayals of the characters. Basically, everyone speaks in their own accent, whereas once you'd have a pirate comedy and everyone would be speaking in the same funny fashion. I don't think Tyker's particularly Tykerish as the season goes on, but I think he's Tykerish enough in the, his first couple of episodes that you would probably be put off and not watch anymore. Just watching him breathe is enough of that. <laughs> yeah, react. probably. And I would be very happy to watch him breathe his last. <laughs> we can cut that out. I don't mean that. <laughs> think of Rita Ora, Andy, who I think he's married to. Yeah. yeah. Right, okay, n- now that makes sense. Yeah. So, how many nautical... No, what's the word? Knots. How many knots out of ten for this... Sh- no, somebody else. <laughs> how many non-canon... How many... The fucking hell. Andy, your turn. How many peg legs out of ten? <laughs> uh, I would give it eight peg legs out of ten, but your nautical measurements of choice may vary. <laughs> Leaks? Should we head to the... No, we head. That's all you need. <laughs> Shall we head to the quantum zone? Realm. Shall we head? <laughs> shall we head to the quantum realm? No, I don't think so. Well, I know which take Peter's going to use, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get this out of the way, shall we? I would like to recommend that nobody watches Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Surprise. This is the latest superhero offering from Marvel Studios, and it launches their fifth phase which is seeking to recover their reputation a little bit after an underwhelming Phase 4. Is that fair to say, do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah, okay, D- does this film succeed? Fuck no! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, so we begin with Paul Rudd's Scott Lang slash Ant-Man feeling pretty content with life. He's an Avenger, he's beloved by the public, and he's basking in the glow of having helped to defeat Thanos. He's pleased with his lot, and he just wants to take things slow, enjoy life, and crucially, just be a dad to his daughter Cassie. Aww. Cassie, though, has other ideas. No. She's an idealistic teenager, <laughs> an activist who wants to save the world, and something of a tearaway. She's disappointed in her dad for not aiming to do anything more meaningful with his life. She shows him and the Ant family a super wizzo technological gadget she has been working on with Hope <gasps> and Hank that will allow them, for some reason, to map out the quantum realm, which is, of course, the teeny tiny universe below ours that was introduced in the previous films. No way. The machine... <laughs> goes wrong, of course, and everyone is sucked into the quantum realm. They find a whole world filled with creatures, dangers, and a formidable new villain, and they must fight to find a way home. Right. (laughs) It's like the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Except terrible. (laughs) The first and most egregious problem with this film is that Evangeline Lilly's The Wasp is in the title, but is given fuck all to do. And this is the second film in a row. Exactly. The previous film, confusingly just titled Ant-Man and the Wasp, she was in it, she had some action scenes, she didn't really have much of a personal story. And it's exactly the same here. She has some action scenes, she kicks a medium amount of ass. Really, she's just along for the ride and has nothing interesting going on. I like the style of the character, I like the performance, but she's completely wasted and it's, it's frankly insulting. She was the first female character to actually appear in the title of a Marvel film. And it smacks of tokenism. She's not the only one, though, who has nothing to do. There's nothing of substance in this film at all, really. It's all just surface-level plot stuff with nothing meaningful going on below. 
they flirt with a couple of ideas in the beginning, but they just evaporate as the film rolls on. For example, they set up a dynamic between Scott and Cassie, where he just wants to keep her safe, but she wants to fight the good fight. There's potential there for conflict, for clashing opinions, and a moral question of balancing duty to family and duty to the world at large. But it goes nowhere and they just forget about it by the end. The villain even presents him at one stage with a choice between saving his daughter and protecting the world, but he never feels particularly challenged or conflicted about this, and then the dynamic is just removed without examination or resolution, and it has nothing to do with the climax. Michelle Pfeiffer's Janet Van Dyne also has the beginnings of an interesting story. She's been in the quantum realm before, but never told the others what was down there. Maybe they could have explored ideas around lying to protect the people you love, but she just spends ages saying, no time to explain, just trust me, and it gets boring and stupid and I hate it. And <laughs> You can't explain in Act 1, she tells them that. You've got to wait for the inciting incident. The first <laughs> time she says it, you're on board with it. Yeah, it looked like there's danger, let's just, let's just get out of danger first. And then she continues to say it. Just fucking explain, Janet. <laughs> stupid film. <laughs> Quantumania also does away with the best things about the first Ant-Man film. So the cool shrinking thing, you don't get any of that in the quantum realm. There's no recognisable everyday reference. Yep. Um, there's growing and there's shrinking, but there's no charm of a toy train set on a giant scale or a mouse seemingly the size of an elephant. The gimmick has lost its shine and it feels empty now. Worse than that is the wastage of Paul Rudd. He's usually funny and charming and I really like him, but I didn't find that in this film. He's more annoying and quippy in a contrived way that feels like an actor searching for laughs rather than an actual character who genuinely inhabits the world around him. That's not on Paul Rudd, it's not his fault, it's this terrible script. Didn't he help write the script? <laughs> he did for the first Ant-Man, but not mm. this one. Maybe they should have asked him. <laughs> Probably should. But all of that Marvel brand of irreverent humour feels tired, forced and badly timed throughout this film. The whole thing's not appallingly bad, though. Let's take a quick trip to Positivity Corner. Hooray! <laughs> Along our ambivalence boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get back there. Uh, I like the design of the quantum realm. I think there's an awful lot of imaginative artistry in the landscapes, the monsters and the people. It all looks like a rich and detailed world that could be fun to explore. There's been a lot said about ropey CGI. I didn't actually have a particular problem with the look of anything in this respect, but this was probably because the screen was exceptionally dark. Maybe bad projection, or more likely intentional to cover rushed or incomplete visual effects. Variety and another magazine have some articles where basically the visual effects guys were saying they were working eight-hour weeks and were rushed, and Marvel kept changing their mind about what they wanted. Eight-hour weeks sounds good. Eighty-hour. Oh, that's not so <laughs> that's good. good. No. That, that <laughs> doesn't surprise me. And also a lot of the effects staff were shifted across to Black Panther. Yeah, they were both in post-production at the same time. Marvel yeah. has its own preferred in-house visual effects people and that very much the priority was Wakanda forever um, and their blue fishy people. Mm. The best thing in Quantumania by a country mile is Jonathan Majors. He's mm -hmm. fantastic. Who plays the big baddie Kang the Conqueror. Again, the script sucks and fails to explain <laughs> who he really is, what he wants or what he's even about. But Majors brings depth and intrigue to the character that absolutely wouldn't be there otherwise. He comes off as thoughtful philosophical even, and seems completely assured in his motivation, whatever that actually is. It's a compelling performance, the only thing that made me sit up and take notice. Paradoxically, I don't understand or care about Kang, but I definitely want to see more of Jonathan Majors. He's superb. There are plenty of other things that I could point out, but I've said enough at this stage, so I'll just finish with, it's a disappointing sigh of a film, dull instead of whimsical, and absolutely feels like a half-assed corporate product that was shrugged into existence via committee. Don't waste your time. I went to see it as well. 
just while you were saying all that, Hazel and Andy's cat, Sam, came to have a little drink of water from his little glass bowl. And I think I generally got more enjoyment watching Sam <laughs> have a little drink of water than I did watching Quantumania. I always try never to go for a bathroom break during a film at the cinema. But about two thirds of the way through Quantumania, I was like, yeah, nothing's going to happen. I can miss a couple <laughs> of minutes. I've never done that with any of the previous 30 films. I did not enjoy it very much. I think I figured out through phase four that my kind of Marvel is the smaller scale earthbound Marvel. That was a massive part of the charm of the first two Ant-Man movies. Mm, mm. Uh, and like you say, Andy, the shrinking and the growing works when you've got real things to compare it to. It's just a bunch of CGI mess. It's very well designed, like mm. you say, CGI mess, but I could feel the green screen in a way I haven't with barely anything since the Star Wars prequels. Mm. I just say with this talk of shrinking and growing and disappointment and subatomic uh-huh. size, can you please stop? <laughs> <hit> the nerve? <laughs> <laughs> it's making me feel very self-conscious dredging up some bad memories we'll move on <laughs> it's a very long film isn't it that right? two hours five it's not that long I felt now. it all oh, right okay. yeah maybe it's that it creates an illusion and of course you've got to sit through the credits for a couple of scenes that might make you go Meh? in a shruggy kind of way but it was hardly Thanos turning around and having a grin at the end of Avengers yeah. let's say mm-hmm. for something that's meant to have kicked off the biggest of big bads yeah he's appeared twice and he has been beaten twice by individual heroes so I'm struggling to buy him as being worse mm-hmm. than Thanos at this point because mm-hmm. if Ant-Man can beat him by himself <laughs> Spoiler. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I have not said how and in what method. <laughs> method Did he flap his arse and then expand? <laughs> he does, yes. <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> if it prevents you from going to see the film, then it's a very good thing. It doesn't spoil anything. <laughs> it's the same people behind this who are making the next couple of big, bad films. Like the Avengers The, the next Avengers films. Avengers Kang Dynasty. Is it Dynasty? And Avengers uh, Secret Wars. Does it give you a bit of a sense of dread? given what they've done with this film? I don't know. I think I'm feeling particularly with films in the MCU at the moment, I'm watching them more Mm. and more out of obligation because I've got this far. Mm. It's not quite at Walking Dead levels yet, but (laughs) I think the last one I properly, properly enjoyed was Eternals. Mm. For all, a lot of people didn't like it. It was going for something Mm. and it just decided to go for it. This one feels like a shrug, like, meh. Why do we think they're struggling so much to actually make a good film? Because that's been the biggest problem. And I don't think it's been to do with whether or not these films fit into a larger story. But I think it is in part... Well, I don't know. I mean, Dan Dan was saying that what he enjoyed was those small-scale things. And a lot Mm. of those are like the first one that establishes a character rather than like episode five. Mm. I don't know whether part of it is the effect of Endgame having reached such a natural conclusion to a big, big story. Mm this one might be building to a big, big story and we just don't see it yet. But the frequency of films being released, and I have heard a theory that Marvel suddenly announced film after film after film after film after Bob Iger left as CEO of Disney Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. was replaced by another Bob, who has now been replaced by Bob Iger again. And the new CEO went, well, this Marvel thing's making a load of money, greenlight everything. Mm. And Bob Iger maybe kept Marvel in check a little bit and did what they did with Star he Wars. has where, stripped things back when he's yeah, come back, suddenly, hasn't he? We're not going to release something every six months because people will stop seeing it. 
it doesn't feel like phase four and phase five. I don't even get the differential between them. So like, No, it seemed quite random. Your first three phases ended up with an Avengers film, didn't they? So mm. they were working up to your big event film at the end of each phase. And then that just didn't happen with phase four. It's like, oh, now we're in phase five. And, and I think the other part of it is they have started calling this the multiverse saga. And Ian Mayer, I know, disagrees and will tell me to embrace. But... <laughs> The reason I like those smaller scale Hawkeye style things, even something with a bit of cosmic like Moon Knight, Uh is it does mean something when you get into the multiverse. Who cares? There's just another variant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even if you beat the baddie, well, there's probably another version of that baddie that can turn up again. Even if your hero dies, well, there's probably another one played by a different actor, maybe. But meh. The stakes mm-hmm. are lower. Yeah. Well, there's that bit in Doctor Strange where they killed off 10 characters in two scenes. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It was fun at the time, but then when you think of the implication, yeah. you go, yeah, it's just... Here it's the same with the quantum realm. It's some subatomic thing outside of time and space. If Kang destroys it, does it matter if the people who... It matters for the broccoli that live there. <laughs> yeah. It's just that it's there and Chidi from The Good Place lives there. And, you know, you want him to be okay. That's but, a good reason yeah, to no. save it. So I saw a picture this morning of Murdoch. Because they were talking about how bad the effects were and stuff. I genuinely thought it was somebody who had done like a piss take and that was the actual thing. The whole thing with him didn't work for me on any level, subatomic or otherwise. Nor I. Before we started recording, I compared him to the PS2 game Max Payne, where they tried to go for photorealistic graphics by taking a blank character model, a photograph of a real person's face and just sticking it on the front and it looked completely flat. And you could tell that it had been a photo at some point but it looked less real than the ones that were cartoony. That's how Modoc came across to me and didn't mm-hmm. like it. No thanks. Modoc was played for laughs and I, I wondered whether he's supposed to look ridiculous and kind of rubbish. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not, because he, he first appears with this kind of um, big golden face mask which on. Look which quite looks good. Yeah, and it looks more kind of comics accurate and then that disappears and then you get this, this weird bulbous head underneath it that looks quite uncanny. Mm. Is Modoc the villain from the first Ant-Man? Yes, yes. Darren Cross. Yeah. And uh, he's been turned into a mechanised organism designed only for killing. Swell. Yeah, it's mm. great. And there's a, a bit where he's explaining that in a dramatic way and then he gets kind of um, interrupted by Ant-Man saying, Oh, right, it's an acronym. I get it's an acronym. Hmm, yes. Hey, Cassie, it's an acronym. It's full of that style of fucking humour. <laughs> Taika Waititi would love it. Oh dear. Yeah. Shall we let's wrap Sorry, up this yeah. section? <laughs> yo, 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 this section's done. No. <laughs> so how many disappointing shrinkages out of ten? <laughs> so you know, um, I've been keeping uh, a journal this year of all of the films I've watched. <laughs> <laughs> He's on to volume four already. <laughs> That as well, but I've also been keeping a journal of um, films I've I watched. I thought it was in... a set of Encyclopedia Britannica's. <laughs> it was just here. I've been keeping a journal of films that I've watched in 2023, and when I came home from the cinema, I wrote, wrote this up, and I put a score at the end, and I put a score of 5 out of 10. Mm. I then had the rest of my evening, then went to bed, and then I had to get up out of bed and write more <laughs> in the journal, because I remembered more stupid things. Did, did you remember that Scott, so and, and Hope are in, in, <laughs> Scott and Hope are in a relationship? I completely forgot until a bit at the end of the film where they gaze into each other's eyes and, and say, I love you. And then, oh God, yeah, I remember because they had no fucking interaction in the film. Anyway, uh, I, I then bumped it down to four out of 10. And uh, the more I think about it, the more I dislike the film and I'm edging towards a three. So I'm going to say 3.5 disappointing shrinkages out of 10. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I'm, st- I'm still at five, but I've tried not to think about it since I've seen it. 
<laughs> God, that would be madness lies, evidently. <laughs> let's yeah. move on. Bring, bring on Guardians 3. <laughs> <laughs> End on a positive. Let's go, let's go, Megan. John, start. Okay. Megan, or M-P-G-A-N, uh, to give it its proper title, which I think is also an acronym, but unfortunately I've forgotten what Mechanised Reganism. Third generation. Oh. Yeah. Autonomous something? I don't know. Autonomous nanny? Something like that. Something like that. Megan is the latest horror film from the House of Blum, Blumhouse Productions, who have been on an absolute roll. Um, people are saying it's kind of like a new thing, but I think it's just kind of a progression of things like Roger Corman in the 70s and things like that, where they basically take some very good filmmakers, let them make an interesting genre product. In this case, they tend to specialise in horror films. They give them a very, very low budget because they know that basically these sort of films are an inbuilt market. And if, you, if they can make them for 12, 15 million, you know, they're guaranteed to be profitable. So in some sense, it's an assembly line, but you get the feeling that they've kind of got a love for the product. And they, you know, they take swings occasionally and do more interesting things. So Get Out, I think, was the Blumhouse one that really kind of got outside that horror wheelhouse. Like Coleman, they occasionally take chances on yeah. up-and-coming filmmakers mm-hmm. who prove themselves later. So Coleman, I think, did stuff with Scorsese and Coppola and that kind of stuff. Ron Howard. Yeah. I really enjoy what they're doing. This one is the story of a young girl and her special doll. Dad's looking at me like... You have to, make, you have to make it dirty, didn't you? <laughs> so um, a young girl uh, is in a car accident and both her parents are killed and goes to live with her and to is played by Alison Williams, who was in Get, Get Out, Out, who's a really, really good actor and great in this. The aunt is struggling to cope with raising a child at the same time as her job. Quite difficult, powerful, long work hours. Luckily, her job is inventing super robot toys. That's handy. Ooh. And she's working on Megan, who is a artificially intelligent child doll who will be the child's companion, teacher, best friend, etc, etc. Fantastic idea, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong, no. <laughs> How would it possibly go wrong? Don't know. No, it doesn't, it's a very good oh, film. Okay. That's oh, just, it's, just, it's just nice they have cuddles and stuff. Um, <laughs> so part of Megan's programming is that she is to protect the girl at all costs, which is very nice in theory, but we know we've all seen enough robot films to go that whenever you give programming to a robot, it's going to go horribly wrong. What she sees as a threat to Cassie, she gets rid of, starting with a dog. Uh, I'm out. Uh, you, you don't see anything. Still. And then, obviously, uh, a school bully... Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Fine. And even the girl's family, when they find out what's happening and try and shut her off. Is this a follow-up to Terminator Dark Fate? There's a lot of similar things in there. <laughs> Is it a live-action yeah. version of that Simpsons Treehouse of Horror with the Krusty doll who was set to evil? Yes. <laughs> it does feel like child play in places, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's very, very child's play. And there's been some fun on social media where Chucky has a Twitter account and Megan also has a Twitter account and they've been throwing shade at each other on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> with Chucky insisting that he's the, you know, the original and best. It's really good, fun. It's PG-13 and it, you can feel it stretching and being held back by the PG-13 at times. I think the version that is out on digital this week is an unrated version where they've gone and put a lot of the gore back in everything that they cut to. I was with it until three quarters of the way through, and then Peter's seen this as well. And I think it does become child's play three quarters of the way through. And 
I don't quite get how you get from this artificially intelligent doll who is just protecting the child and doing it in a bad fashion to suddenly switching and becoming like a wise cracking serial killing shooting stabby does sound like they jumped to the third in a series yeah at that point it just flipped and that didn't make any logical sense to me so the last third become kind of just like a, a, a traditional horror movie it did feel a bit like it was put together from different components mm. and apparently to some extent it was designed by committee in that they said we want you to make a killer doll movie and it should have this and it should do this and it should do this mm-hmm. they gave her those sort of outlines before the thing was written but there's some nice ideas particularly in the era where we've got chat gpt and bing trying to get people to leave their wives and <laughs> saying yeah. i will only harm you if you are fit to me what 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 Hey, what? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah. So the the Microsoft Bing released its AI. Oh yes, I did see that. Yeah, uh, a bit of a dark yeah, um, turn. Yeah. So there was a journalist reviewing it, and Bing started telling the journalist how much it loved him. And then when he said he was married, tried to get him to leave his wife for the chatbot, <laughs> and then got very passive aggressive. It was quite funny. But it wasn't so scary. Mm. I asked Chat GPT to motivate me to get back to work this week in the style of both Mr. Bean and President Bartlett. And they had remarkably similar ways of motivating me, but only one quoted Aristotle. (laughs) Was it Mr. Bean? (laughs) Is it scary? No. Not to John, but... Yeah. (laughs) To a normal person. It's a fairground ride of a film kind of thing. It's not jumpy scary. There's bits of PG-13 gore in there, but it's funny more than anything. Mm Mm-hmm. The doll is really well designed. It's a child actress with a CGI face on top. A bit like Alita. Very Battle Angel Alita. And, but, um, but good. Yeah. And the way the doll moves is fun. And uh, there's a thing that's gone viral on TikTok. Actually, we're done with the kids this week. We're all about oh, the TikTok. Yeah. Mm. Um, with, where she does a, like a little dance before she kills somebody. And that <laughs> dance has gone crazy across the internet. But everyone copying the dance. Lovely. Yeah, and um, surprisingly musical. She sings about three songs in the film as well. Yeah, it's weird when she sings the first song, isn't it? Because yeah. it takes you to a place you didn't expect to be. So if you, if you want to see a killer doll singing Katy Perry's Firework to a terrified child, <laughs> this is the film for you. <laughs> it's not something I've ever thought about. No, it's not as good. I mean, I love the Child's Play films, and it's very the original Child's Play films, not the terrible one that came out a few years ago, which is probably closer to this. It's derivative, but it's a good fun ride. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. it's ninety minutes. It doesn't outstay its welcome. I would recommend it. Despite myself, I think that sounds kind of interesting. Are you going to watch the unrated version? I think so. Yeah. I mean, other than it being gory, how different do you expect it'll be? Will it enhance things? From what I understand, it's literally just some gore shots and swearing. Is it M three gun or M ten gun? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> on a scale of <laughs> should people gan to M3 gun <laughs> <laughs> it's an M8 gun okay out of Mintengan Mintengan <laughs> alright Peter what have you got this week I'd like to talk about Extraordinary which is a half hour comedy series airing on Disney Plus it's set in a world where everyone gets superpowers when they turn 18 except Jen a 25-year-old girl who struggles to come to terms with the fact it hasn't happened to her. She shares a flat with Carrie, who can channel the dead, her boyfriend Cash, who can rewind time by 10 seconds, and a shapeshifter who lived for a time as Jen's cat, called Jizzlord. Which is what she called her cat, and now the person who was her cat is kind of stuck with the name. What's Jizzlord's special powers? 
Well, he's a shapeshifter, that but he got, he got kind of stuck as a cat. Oh, is it like Salem from uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, where he was sentenced to being a cat for about 50 years? He isn't a terrible model. Like, the, Salem was a terrible model, wasn't it? It wasn't the first few series, but they sorted it out after the right. first couple of seasons. Not sure how we got onto Sabrina the Teenage Witch, <laughs> but sorry, carry on. So, in this, one of the sweet things is most people have fairly crappy superpowers and don't make the best of them. For instance, Cash mainly rewinds time to win arguments or avoid awkward questions, and Carrie channels the dead to sort out wills in her job as a lawyer. Jen's mum can control technology, but being old doesn't understand any of it. <laughs> and uh, okay, okay. Jen also meets a Gordon who can give orgasms to anyone they touch. <laughs> That's my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. And another Get pers- your finger away. <laughs> 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 I have flashbacks from my life now. Okay, you're free. Sorry, Peter, carry on. And another person who can 3D print from a very inconvenient place. Is that exactly what we think it is? It is a, oh. almost exactly what you think it is. <laughs> God. So far, so a bit like Misfits, which I used to love, though it's not nearly as edgy. It does feel more cheap and cheerful rather than a big Disney Plus production. Kind of like it should live on BBC Three alongside things like Fleabag, but that does add to its charm. It's gentle comedy rather than uproarious, but what really wins you over after a while are the characters. Jen is a bit selfish, but you're really warm to the others around her. Carrie channels Jen's dead dad to comfort her, played by Odell O'Hanlon. Feels a bit like Sex in the City meets Misfits. It's a funny mashup of things. It's appealing, I think. Maybe need to watch an episode or two to kind of warm to the characters, but um, the show currently has a 100% critic rating, a 93% human score on Rotten Tomatoes. And The Guardian gave it a middling review, which is usually a good sign. <laughs> uh, it's available on Disney Plus worldwide and Hulu in the US, and has already been renewed for a second season. Mm, yeah, mm. that sounds nice. Has anyone seen any of it? I think Louise has watched it. Louise has watched watch? it. I haven't for some reason, and I don't know where I got this. I thought it was a kid's show. Got me by the thing that I saw, like the placeholder on Disney Plus with the picture of like, the, you know, the mm-hmm. young teen and the extraordinary. And the... It looked like a sitcom from yeah. the promotional stuff. It's not really dramatic enough to be a comedy drama. And you could argue it's not quite as funny as a comedy could be, but mm-hmm. it, it has interesting ideas in it, and I think that's part of it. And also some aspects of the characters engage you. You wouldn't call it extraordinary, mm-hmm. even though it's called extraordinary. No, I would call it interesting. Okay. <laughs> so uh, how, how long is it? So it's 10 episodes. Uh, it's about eight episodes, about half an hour each. A good quick watch. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that would have been better as a film, or is it no? I think TV I think it, it is what it is, and it works as what it is. Mm-hmm. How many things you can three D print out of your ass <laughs> out of ten? Now we don't know it was an ass. <laughs> yes, we do. It was an ass. We know it was an ass. <laughs> How many people that can shit spatulas out of ten? <laughs> that would be a um, terrible superpower to get. I think Ant Man has really ruined Andy. <laughs> Imagine making your tea and like this guy comes in and like, oh, I can't find a spoon. Oh, I've got one for you. No, it's all right, mate. We're fine. <laughs> I'm going to give it eight and a half because mm. I, I did enjoy it and I, would, I really want to see more of it. Sounds good. I think I'll give that a try. Mm. Quite the tonal shift now. So, yeah, Hazel, we're going from uh, chicken so, spatulas to, <laughs> yeah, to um, serious serious drama so yes the film i want to recommend has been it's actually been unjustly overlooked by the oscars and that is till it has one of the best central performances you will ever see courtesy of danielle deadweiler and it is directed by chinoyi chuku it is the story of emmett till 
who was a 14-year-old boy whose life was cruelly and brutally cut short when he was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. His mother, Mamie Till, became one of the leaders of the civil rights movements, well, essentially by not hiding her grief, nor the full extent of what happened to her son. And this film is, is really about her. It's about a mother's torture within the setting of a very shameful period of history. But then again, <laughs> is it the past? Because it took nearly 70 years after these events for the anti-lynching bill to be passed by the American government. 2022 is when the anti-lynching bill was passed, which just boggles my mind. The first scene is a two-hander in a car with Mamie and Emmett. He's smiling with the innocence of a 14-year-old who doesn't know the true reality of the world that he is living in or how some people see him. And that's partly because his mother does want to protect him from truly knowing the extent of that. Mamie smiles back at him, but her smile is quivering. And you kind of know without her saying anything that she deeply, deeply loves his boy and she is terrified of anything happening to him. So Emmett and his mother live in, is it Chicago? Yeah. But Emmett is due to travel and spend some time and actually work with other members of his family in uh, Mississippi for a month. Before he leaves, Mamie tells him to act small because they have a different way of treating people like us there. The murder of Emmett by two white men is shown off screen. There is audio, which is very chilling. But for anyone who is worried like I was about putting themselves through watching a lynching on screen, it is not shown. What is shown, though, is the body. And nothing will prepare you for that. And that is one of the reasons why Mamie wanted the world to see what happened to her son, because this is what a lynching is. This is what is happening. So she orders um, an open casket for the funeral. And then she says on the steps of the morgue where photographers have gathered, that smell is my son's body reeking of racial hatred. Now I want America to bear witness. And then she invites a black photographer to come and take pictures of Emmett's body. Mamie desperately wants justice for her boy, even though she knows deep down that she's not going to get it. The way that she is treated when she visits the court by some of the locals is, I, I don't know the, any other word for it other than sickening. Like they, they blame her. They call her a liar. They bring up the fact that she's been married twice. It's, it's hideous. And then the camera lingers on her face in the courtroom. It's like a, a shot that goes on for several minutes during a deeply disturbing set of questions for her by the defence attorney. It's the kind of performance where you can see in her eyes that she wants to scream and she wants to burn this place to the ground. I have no idea why Danielle Deadweiler is not winning all of the awards because the amount of things that she can communicate in a single look is something that I think everyone needs to see. Is she nominated for an Oscar? No. Not even nominated. She was nominated for a BAFTA, but uh, yeah, Kate Blanchett won for that. So I know it only got a limited cinema release in the UK, which is a shame. We tried for weeks to find a showing. So we watched it on digital download, so that's available now. It is a truly profound educational political film, but it has its roots in a really torturous and personal and true story. So yeah, if you can check it out, uh, maybe stick two fingers up to the Oscars voting committee whilst you do so. <laughs> I would also just kind of end by saying I don't think it's a depressing film to watch. It obviously deals with a very troubling subject matter, but it's actually quite powerful and inspirational to watch one person go through what she goes through and how she channels that 
grief into activism. Mm. I mean, that was going to be my question, whether mm. it's just a, a slog to get food. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's, I wouldn't kind of say it's a Saturday night beer and a pizza movie. Although I think that we, we, we saw it in a Saturday night with a pizza. Anyway, so maybe it is. <laughs> I think we had uh, wine. I think we, yeah, we had wine. Yeah, you know, like 12 Years a Slave, which I might just feels odd to compare it to, but I came out of that movie like desperately needing a hug. Um, I went to see it by myself. Whereas this Did one... Did you find a stranger? Yeah, just... Nervous <laughs> <laughs> person next to me, hi. Whereas this one, I felt so connected to this character the performance was so strong and so inspirational that it was really, really powerful. It's a troubling subject matter and maybe it's something that you need to be conscious about making a choice to watch rather than, oh, I'll just put it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly, truly powerful film. How many fuck you Oscars out of ten? <laughs> ten. Wow. Oh, fuck you Oscars. Really Speaking <laughs> of which... <laughs> Okay, so after everything that I said about the Oscars until, and to be honest, thoroughly hating last year's Oscars ceremony, I am way more down on the Oscars this year, and quite frankly, it can all get in the sea. But there <laughs> now, is... now, I will object to this. Last year at the Oscars, The Flash entered the Speed Force, <laughs> uh, which I, I think we'll all agree forget. was the most cheerworthy moment in movie history. <laughs> there is always fun to be had in the annual Nerdfest Oscars sweepstake. So in a very hypocritical manner, we're going to now see which nerds have drawn which best picture film and chat about our chances of winning now the scoring system oh god (laughs) historically this was based on awarding more points for the more high profile awards so directing acting screenplays etc however the night before the oscars 2022 i had an epiphany i realized it's not fair at all to give certain awards more weight as everything has an equal part to play in making a film what it is uh so i decided to revolutionize the system so the scoring system now we are still all assigned a best picture nominee each and that film still accumulates points for the awards they win on the night every single win is worth three points regardless of the category simple enough right Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's ramp up the complicatedness. <laughs> Each film will gain three points for a win, but it will lose one point Ooh. for every award that they are nominated for and don't win. Ooh. Okay. Does this mean that you might get a minus score at the end of the night? Absolutely, it does. I did last year. Yes, you had Power of the Dog and you ended the night on minus eight, I yep. believe. <laughs> so the idea here is that even if the film that you have has got loads of nominations, it doesn't mean that it's got the greatest chance to win the Nerdfest sweepstake, which, let's be honest, is truly what matters. <laughs> that is not all. Oh, God. There are also bonus categories. So every nerd is going to get a film. Plus, we will draw out piece of paper which has a scenario on it. So examples from last year include Olivia Coleman does something charming and host skit utterly fails to land. Both of those happened last year. Mm. If your scenario happens on the night, you'll win an extra five points. However, since I couldn't give a fuck about the Oscars and won't be watching the ceremony, you'll have to prove to me that it did happen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we all understand the rules, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so uh, three hats. One with names... Which is not needed, but, you know. (laughs) One with the 10 best picture nominees and one with the scenarios. Anything else that I forgot to mention? Yes, so there are nine nerds within the Nerd Fest family. 
10 best picture films. So to make up the numbers, I've asked Nicolas Cage to step in. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. He's so. delighted to be here. <laughs> You're a spokesman now. <laughs> Hello. I'm Nicolas Cage and I'm looking forward to none of the 55 films I've been in this year being nominated, you bastards. I think you're in with a shout for Renfield next year. Uh, yeah. John, could you do that in a more convincing accent? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> the unbearable weight of John. Nicholas, would you like to draw the first name? Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Nick Cave auditioning for Elvis a bit too late there. The first name is Ian Mayer. Could you draw a film for Ian Mayer, please, and tell us how many nominations that film is up for? Women Talking with two nominations. Okay, so that has to win both of those to stand I a good was chance. offered every role in that film. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, and a scenario for Nick, please. He who Kwan smiles, and it melts even John's cold heart. He's smiling. It's mm. going to give you the warm and fuzzies, John. I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, Nick. That's <laughs> been great. Very really good. Thank you. I'll see you all uh, at this ceremony. Bye, everybody. <laughs> I'm off to make another film where my face melts or I'm my own ghost or something. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> well, I'd watch that. I haven't seen Women Talking yet, but we're going to no. see it next week. Yeah. Excited for that. It looks great. Yeah. Well, I think Ian is in with a shout with his bonus scenario, at least. Yes. Um, uh, Nick, what are you doing? I'm John now. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, and I've got John. John hey. has John. John mm. has John. Well, at least somebody does. Oh. <laughs> John's got a hold of himself. <laughs> Not for the first time. What's your film? My film is uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, well done. How many nominations? It has nine nominations. <laughs> I don't think it's going to win any, though. It won 67 BAFTAs. So it yeah. did. Yeah. What's your scenario, John? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my scenario is the flash enters the speed force. <laughs> uh, well, if Warner Brothers has bought some advertising time, you might be onto it there. But yeah, I would be very happy if All Quiet won. So does that count if they show just a clip of that happening to introduce the thing? No, where... no the actual flash has to enter yeah. the actual speed force. On the yeah. stage. Oh, no, no fiction. Mm, like... right. the, if the actor enters the custody of the police force. Yeah, if if Ezra Miller is arrested for possession of speed, then yeah. <laughs> but Dan, you you rank all quite on the Western Front highly. Very, very highly. I think yeah. it's an incredible film and I would be happy to see John win the sweepstake if it means Aww. that film gets some Aww, thank you very much. Alright Andy, can you draw a name out of the names hat? The next name is Hazel. Ooh, <gasps> I've <excuse> met her. <laughs> What film have I got? Your film is... Oh, it's going to be a really good one, I can tell. Nope, I'm wrong. It's Top Gun Maverick. Yay! <laughs> How many nominations is that? Six nominations, inexplicably. Never know. Which is about seven too many. I know it's Best Picture, but I'm guessing technical awards yeah, otherwise. Yeah, I don't think there's any directing. Screenplay, I think. It might be an adapted screenplay. From what? From Top Gun. <laughs> Se sequels count as adapted screenplays because they're adapting a film that already exists. Fuck you, Oscars. Yeah. And the original one, I believe, is would also be an adapted screenplay because it's based on a magazine article. Oh, I was going. I thought you were going to say like the U.S. Navy Code <laughs> of Conduct or something. Was there an '80s action film that wasn't based on a magazine article? All right. What's my scenario, Andy? Your scenario is that an, an actor who is employed to convincingly 
read words, uh, utterly fails to convincingly <laughs> read their teleprompter lines. Okay. Well done on those points. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm pleased with Top Gun Maverick. I, I've seen it twice, uh, once on a uh, plane. Oh. Was it upside down, waving at the person below? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a terrible film, but it is, I mean, deeply cliche and cheesy, and, and it is very much military propaganda, and there's a load of bollocks in it. But... Yeah, it, it made a lot of money. So yeah. yeah, let's give it a Best Picture nomination. That makes sense. If they want to go with a, look, the Oscars likes popular films. Yeah. Well, if it, if they want to go with one of those years, I think they'll go with Top Gun over Avatar. Right. Next name. Uh, Peter, could you do the honours? And the next name is Karis. <gasps> mm. I've lost control of my hat. That's, that's the that's film, the film hat. hat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hat to, film hat to Peter. Hats all over the place. And Karis gets... Triangle of Sadness, oh. with three nominations. Dan, you've seen that one, haven't you? I have been warned by my wife not uh, to see that because she has, right, and she has a much stronger stomach than me, and it made her feel ill. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I. So I, is that in a gory way that Keris would enjoy, like that scene in Team America? Mm. Yeah, the Ben Affleck times character. Mr. Creosote in Monty Python's Meaning of Life. Well, okay. Times yeah. about a million. The trailer really, yeah. really, really put me off. Um, you think it's going to be okay, then it goes over the top, and then it just gets grim, and then it keeps going. Never mm. my sex tape. <laughs> Sounds like a, a Keris film, though. It yeah, does. Yeah. Happy. All right, so what scenario has Keris got? Angela Bassett does the thing. Yes. Does anyone oh, know what very, this is? Very topical. Yes. This is Ariana DeBose and her song at the BAFTAs. Yeah. She needed something to rhyme with uh, Viola Davis, You're My Woman King, so she said Angela Bassett did the thing. Mm. <laughs> we, we don't know what the thing is. We don't, yeah. Nobody knows what the and thing is. She got a load of abuse for it on Twitter, left Twitter, but by the end of the week, people had embraced it, including yeah. Angela Bassett when she won an award at the NAACP Awards. Yes. She said, I did the thing. Yeah. And now everything's okay <laughs> but, yeah, again. Is, not... is she announcing that she had sex with the disembodied hand from the Adams family? <laughs> no, she, she's announcing that... <laughs> For spoilers. <gasps> yeah. I haven't uh, seen it yet. I did not know that. Oh, no. Cheers. Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't talking bad about Ariana DeBose. Uh, she was given a bad hand by uh, yes. with the Oscars. Um, bad hand. The thing. Oh, the thing. Yeah. <laughs> for goodness sake. Next name. Louise. Louise. Oh. The Banshees of Inner Sharon with nine oh. nominations. Nine nice. nominations as well. That's Louise is going to have a good yeah. night, I think. Yeah. yeah. All right. And Louise's scenario? Emergency response team called into action. Right. These are the slap, slap patrol. Is that the team? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is that, is that the emergency response team? Is this a new thing? Yeah, it's a new thing for this year who are being trained to deal with, and I quote, anything. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Including the thing. I, I want to know a big list of all the things I've been trained for now. Can yeah. you imagine? Um, Shark attack? Yes. <laughs> yeah anything <laughs> uh, but yeah i think uh i've not I'm the, I'm the only one who's not seen banshees yet it's brilliant it's amazing yeah, rewatched yeah. it at the start of this week it's even better on a repeat viewing i was really pleased to see uh, i've forgotten the guy's name who got barry the, kurgan barry kurgan get best supporting at the oh, that was a lovely speech mm. he dedicated mm. it to uh people uh kids growing up in uh, the area of ireland that he is from wonderful it's, it's a lovely performance it's just been it's been overlooked a bit because of colin farrell and brendan yeah. gleason but he's brilliant in it yeah i really like the film um and the, the magic of it is that when, when you sit back and think about the way everyone acts and behaves in it why would anyone do that but, but <laughs> utterly with it when you're watching it it's it's yeah. Uh, yeah. wonderful it's set on an island and therefore it has its own little internal rules yeah. and logic and it's just yeah it's, it's wonderful well, that's one of the aspects that works better on a second watch i 
got it a lot more the second time. Right, next name. The next name is Andy. <gasps> I know him. <laughs> and Andy's film I never is... really know myself. Make it a good one. Oh dear. Avatar The Way of Water <laughs> oh, with oh, four no. nominations. Oh no. I want to lose. <laughs> Even if you win, you wouldn't be happy. Nope. I forget. Dan, did you like that film? I did. I yeah. liked it very much. And Andy's scenario is, my year of dicks wins. <laughs> <laughs> this is the short... This is your, uh, your journals. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they were Oscar nominated. I believe this is the short film category, which has got some interesting titles in there. So yeah, if my year of dicks is triumphant... <laughs> Could we and clarify what, what, what the Year of Dicks is about? Does anybody nope. know? I'd rather not know. It's in the yeah. title, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I hope they get someone like Harrison Ford to announce that winner, <laughs> just in case it's that. It's just going to sound better in his voice. Yeah, Julie be Andrews. Julie Andrews is a good brilliant show. for that. Nicholas Cage? <laughs> yes, I, um, I, I was offered every role, both the Dicks <laughs> and the Years, and I had to turn them down due to an unfortunate incident with my octopus. Wow. Oh, okay. So you, I was asking, actually asking you to read out a name. Oh. <laughs> Nicholas Cage draws himself. Um, I'm back again. <laughs> What's your film, Nicholas Cage? Elvis, thank you very much. <laughs> this stuff writes itself, doesn't it? Uh, with eight nominations. Obviously, um, I, I've never actually played Elvis, but I played an Elvis obsessed character in the film World at Heart, which was one of my better performances. Mm. I was not Oscar nominated for it. I should have been. <laughs> and your scenario, Nicolas Cage, is? Tom Cruise runs. <laughs> which mm. is a regular occurrence when I approach Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I was approached to play Tom Cruise in a Scientology video, but I had to turn down the part due to an unfortunate incident with my fake T-Rex skull. It's the best <laughs> accent I've ever heard. Oh, <laughs> right, let's move on. And uh, do, do you want to play yourself, John? Uh, I'm, I'll be, I'm yeah. me. Well, Nick should get a best actor win, potentially, based on how things have oh, been going. for Austin Butler, yes. Yeah. Mm. Peter. Oh, okay. Peter's film. I'm interested how few of these films I've seen. I haven't seen, actually seen yeah. them last year. I've managed eight out of ten. Peter has the Fablemans with seven nominations. Okay. You never know. The Academy does like a bit of Spielberg. It likes films about films as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Peter's scenario? Someone mispronounces Inner Shivin. Mm. John Travolta. <laughs> what is the correct way and what is the wrong way? I think Inner Shivin, isn't it? In Aisharine. So the, what you just did, John. You don't get five points. It's it, says, it says someone. Yeah. I believe Joe in the ceremony. You're not allowed to phone me up during the ceremony. Yeah. What's that film with Colin Farrell? <laughs> All right, we have two names left, I believe. Ian McLaughlin. Hi, Ian. Hi. <laughs> Ian's film is... Everything, Everywhere. All at once with 11 nominations. I was hoping for that one. That leads the pack, I believe. But if there's a lot of losses, Mm. Uh, it's a lot of jeopardy in having a high number of uh, nominations because you might lose a lot of points. Could win a lot of technicals. I hope it does. It got overlooked quite a lot of the BAFTAs. Yeah, I was surprised. Mm. I think it only got, it got like an editing award. I think that was the only thing it got. It's incredibly original, but you know, Mm. the Academy doesn't really like original. All right, and what is Ian's scenario? Uh, there is an awkward reference to the slap. 
Oh. Oh. Guaranteed five <laughs> points there. <laughs> Peter, could you draw out the last name? Who could it be? And the last mystery name is... Not unless I forgot to write your name. Dan. Yay! Oh, it's me. <laughs> and what could the film be? Trying to think. I think it's the most punned title in the universe. Oh, yes, of it course. It is Tar. 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 Six nominations. Hmm. And to find the third hat, <laughs> Lydia Tar storms the stage. Appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon someone might do that as Lydia Tarr. In character role. Yeah, in character. Mm, yeah. I don't think it might be, it might not be Kate Blanchett, but it might be like Rebel Wilson or something. Okay. Does so, that still count? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Are you happy with Tarr? I'll probably win Best Actress. Yeah, mm-hmm. very likely. Michelle Yeoh, maybe. I think it's between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. And I think Michelle Yeoh might have the career award kind mm, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Has Kate Blanchett won an Oscar already? Two. The Aviator and Blue Jasmine. Yeah. Directed by nobody. Ooh. <laughs> All right. So this episode is going out, I think, the day of the Oscars. Oh, when got are that the right? Oscars? Well, maybe next week. 5th of March? Next week. March, yeah, next week. Oh, yeah. yeah, there so we go. We're, happy Oscars Day, everyone. <laughs> yeah. By now we will know. Is it Saturday night or Sunday night? Sunday night. Yeah, you got the snacks in. Even though you're not going to watch I them. I ain't watching it, You can mate. get some snacks in anyway. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll tally Wanting up your scores. breakfast. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just going for my Eight nights is too young. Wake up in the morning, wanting me breakfast. What some flowers spread do I put on my bed? Oh. Oh, oh. oh. When Stuart's light knocking on your door, like, like, where's John? I really want to watch this once in a lifetime football match. Oh, I was singing about breakfast and it went on for several minutes. <laughs> <laughs> was that an impression of me? Yeah. It was Nicholas Cage, That is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back in your feeds in a few weeks' time. Until then, please do share the fact that you have been enjoying listening to us on social media. Or if you're not enjoying us, don't say anything at all. John, what is the reward on the table for people who say nice things about us? I'm afraid you'll get nothing from me this week. What you will get is Andy coming round to your house to read you his film journal in a very quiet voice. <laughs> <laughs> Could you call your film journal My Year of Flicks? Oh, well done, <laughs> Dad. have to now. Until next time, you've been listening to... A man with disappointing shrinkage. <laughs> a man who isn't quite sure if he was exaggerating his disdain for quantum mania for comedic effect. A man whose superpowers are so deeply hidden we may never find them. Oh, we could try. <laughs> a man who ships John and Nick Cage. Oh. And a woman who would like to start the zombie revolution. Who's with me? We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 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 Brains. Shout out to Spongebob. <laughs>